Welcome to the Granite Gals podcast. This is the podcast where we interview female hikers who hike the right mountains. I am Alexandra Her, And I am Sage Her. The opinions that we personally express in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our interviewee or of any organizations we may mention. Hello everyone, today we are interviewing Carol Gardner, an avid hiker who works for a safety communications company. She is also a search and rescue volunteer. Welcome. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. So when did you start hiking and why do you like to hike? Well, it's when I started hiking was really when I was a child. There was a creek in my backyard and I used to love exploring that creek. Um, I didn't always have my parents' permission, so um, I hope my mother's not listening to this. It was in really an endless source of um, adventure for me because the creek went along um, past like an American Legion Hall, past a baseball ground, and there were all these places in the woods where you could go fishing or hang out or build a fort <laughs> or, you, you know, all these things that kids like to do. And that was really my exposure to the outdoors. And then when I got a little bit older and got involved in um, Girl Scouts and uh, a couple of the other youth groups, I learned a little bit more about about hiking and following trail signs, reading a map, outdoor safety. Um, But I really did not take on any big hikes until I was older, until I was an adult. Um, There were, I'm not particularly gifted as far as, you know, athletic. I I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not really gifted with a great athletic ability. So my issue with organized sports is that I could never keep up with kids my age. I was always slow. I was always the one picked last in gym class. And so, you know, organized hikes kind of had that same vibe. I always felt like I was the one lagging behind. Um, but uh, then when I started exploring more on my own, I realized that, hey, yeah, there are other people out there in the world that are that hike at my sp- my pace and um, I started hiking more, started enjoying it more. I uh, got a chance to explore a lot of the trails in central and western mass. When I really got the hiking bug was about 10 years ago and I wanted to um, take some photographs of foliage. I had recently moved to Nashua, and so I had pulled into the visitor center, and there was a fellow there with a DOT safety vest on, and I asked if he had any recommendations as to where I could go. I was relatively new to the area, just not new to New England, so he recommended Miller State Park. And he said, there's this auto road where you can drive up to the top of a mountain. And I was thinking, drive up to the top of the mountain. That's awesome. (laughs) A couple of days later, I had the day off. So, you know, I got out of bed at 5 o'clock because, you know, I was going to go drive to the top of the mountain. I'm going to see this wonderful sight. I drove out to Miller State Park and, well, the road is gated. 
Uh, and, and so there's there's going to be no driving to the top, and I'm just so incredibly disappointed. <laughs> so I'm trying to console myself by taking photos of some interesting-looking trees that were down by the, the parking lot area. Well, this young fellow pulls up in a little Honda Civic. He steps out, looking at him, about college-age fellow, puts a bag on his back, waves for me, waves at me, and then just takes off up trail. Wait a minute. Maybe I can do this too. <laughs> and so I looked in the direction where he went, and there was a kiosk with a map. So go over to look at the map, and I was thinking, boy, I, I haven't been on trail in a long time, but there's no trouble spots. I mean, the trail looks relatively straight there don't there seem to be any water crossings or any hazards i'm dressed to be outside i've got a bag of supplies i've got good shoes hey maybe i can maybe i can hike to the top and i did and i was uh i i got to the top there's this lady that was there at the raptor observatory counting the migrating raptors and I surprised her because I came up and by the time I summited the auto road was open and she and some other people had driven to the top and she says oh ha hello and I'm like oh uh hi <laughs> I, I just climbed a mountain <laughs> <laughs> so I hiked back down and I had texted a friend and I'm like you're not going to believe how I spent my morning and her reply back was but Carol you're like 40 so <laughs> did I miss something did, are, are you supposed to like not climb mountains once you're like 40 because you know if, if you're not I'm in trouble and so that got me a lot more in uh, that just really lit a fire under me I got more interested in exploring the trails and really seeing um, more of what northern New England and the whites had to offer and it's just in my blood ever since <laughs> that's really awesome yeah that's great so have you finished the four K's? I have not. I have done half of them. Oh, awesome. uh, I, I kind of stalled out at exactly 24. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually have not hiked a 4K in a couple of years, unfortunately, because of some non-hiking related matters, but I hope to be back in it this summer. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite 4K that you've hiked so far? It's really hard to answer that. I mean, I know we all tend to have our favorites. It's funny because the experience gets blended with, you know, the joy of actually hiking a mountain versus the company that you're with and the time you're having with other people. Yeah. I, I will say that um, Moriah has been one that just absolutely stunned me. It just blew me away with how beautiful it was. And uh, if I were, if, if I could hike any peak at all right now, um, I would probably go back and go up to the summit of Mariah. I would just love to see that view of the presidentials mm -hmm. and the Carters again. Yeah. 
So what lists or mountains besides the 4Ks have you hiked or are you working on? Um, and what did you enjoy about them specifically? Well, I think at some point I might like to do the um, trail rights list. Mm -hmm. I do keep track of that unofficially. Um, I have also done a boatload of trail work for other projects and I believe very strongly in giving back to the mountains. Yeah. There are a, a, a list that my boyfriend Ben and I have started is that we would like to camp at all the New Hampshire State Park campgrounds. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so while that's not exactly the same as scaling peaks, it's we have such a wonderful resource right here in New Hampshire. And when we're not on trail, we'd like to check out all of them as you know, place to hang our hat at the end of the day. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. The um, it's really hard to say what I enjoy about them specifically. I mean, so I had mentioned the importance of giving back, but there are there's a lot of history in New Hampshire, and there's so much to be explored. And I really like learning the area and learning some of the stories behind the trails. Um, even the flat rail trails um, have, generally have fascinating stories behind them. And a lot of history from when New Hampshire was a major granite producer in the 1800s. And it's, it's really, fascinating to explore um, where the state has been and the accomplishments that have happened in these little cities and towns. Of course, I love the thrill of being able to push myself as hard as I can and getting to a summit and looking out on the view, but that's not all that's there for me. There's a lot more that I like learning about and that I like exploring. And when you get outside of the 48, um, the trails are a lot quieter. So it's generally easier to find peace, quiet, seclusion. There are trails where you can walk all day and right. never encounter another person. Yeah, there's a lot of variety. There the is. Nature, which is really great. Absolutely. Yeah, the 48 have been getting really crowded recently, so. Yeah, they're very popular. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Where have you hiked in addition to the White Mountains? What is your favorite place to hike outside of the Northeast? Um, there is a lot of um, gorgeous, gorgeous parks in southern Quebec. Um, so just just for for fairness, I'm I'm looking outside, you know, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. Um, I I love exploring Quebec. I haven't done a whole lot of hiking outside the region. I did have a chance to um, do a little bit of hiking in the Pyrenees, which are mm -hmm. mountain range between Spain and France. There's a little postage stamp size country on the border called Andorra. It's about the size of Martha's Vineyard. Wow. And uh, the population is very similar. It's about 65,000 people just right in the mountains. It's a beautiful place. Mm -hmm. I had to go there on business, and I cannot wait for a chance to go back. How was it? Like How, how were the trails and the views compared to New Hampshire? 
to New Hampshire's trials? Well, the um, I mean, the makeup of the uh, of the mountains is a little different, so it wasn't quite as, as steep um, or as rocky as most of what we encounter here. But I also found it more inconsistent. Uh, you could be walking through a patch in, in the woods that is relatively flat and even, and that could go on for a couple of miles. And then you turn a quarter and you're in a boulder field. <laughs> <laughs> so it, uh, it definitely uh, it kept you on your toes. It sounds very exciting. Yeah, I'd love to hike there at some point. <laughs> yeah. So have you ever experienced sexism directed towards you on the trail? Well, I have definitely encountered people that were negative towards me on trail. Um, I am, as I mentioned, I'm still a slow hiker, and to a lot of people, um, that comes across as incapable. You know, you're slow, you're weak, you don't know what you're doing. Um, and to top it off, I have asthma, so at the end of a long day, I'm breathing pretty hard, and I probably look like a hot mess, and some, you know, sometimes people are worried about me, I think, and sometimes people give me, you know, sort of a disparaging comment, and I usually just try to shut them up and say, you know, I'm old and asthmatic, I'm, I'm all right. Now, was any of that specifically because I'm female? Possibly. There are certainly um, a few, you know, macho types out there that have their own view of the world, and if you try to show them anything that's different to what they expect, they get upset. But I don't think that's been the minority of people that I've encountered um, that have given me some sort of static. And it hasn't always been men either. There was one time when I was volunteering and I had finished for the day. So I was walking down trail. Somebody from here had texted me about something. And it was a very straightforward question. So I sat down on a rock and I'm actually typing out a response. So there was a lady who saw me on the phone and got so upset. She complained to the rangers. What? What? The person she complained to was she saw me as I came back to the trailhead and she said, Oh, Carol, you're not going to believe what happened. And I said, Let me guess. Somebody complained that I was on my phone. And she said, Yeah, how, how did you know? And I said, Because as soon as I sat down, this lady just gave me this huge eye roll and said, I can't believe you're on the phone. Wow. That's <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I, I don't think I have ever seen any reaction like that before or since. Jeez. And what a waste of mountain time. I know. You know we're in like, such a yeah. beautiful place. Just put your concerns aside and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, you have no idea what someone could be doing on their phone. Like, it's none of your business. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really, and like, you could be texting to your family. Like, you could, somebody could have, there could be an emergency. I mean, it's really not none of your business. Yeah. It's, 
it's like, it's not it's not like they're blasting music. Like yeah. them being on your their phone doesn't affect you in the slightest. So like uh, <laughs> exactly. And to be honest, I wasn't even getting in anybody's way because you know, texting and walking down a rocky path is not necessarily <laughs> the best combination. Yeah, but you stop. So I figured if I if I get off the to the side, I can um, you know, I'm not in anybody's way, and I have a chance to yeah. park my tired butt down on a rock for a couple of minutes. And <laughs> yeah, that's really bizarre. To yeah, that's surprised really someone said something like that. It's uh, it 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 was, and it's I can't even say I was upset about it because it is just so absurd. I find it funny. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really strange. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, just to clarify, you said here we're at her workplace. So just to clarify that. Um, oh, I'm sorry. yes, true. Yeah. Yes, I should have said that somebody um, somebody from my office had asked me a technical question and it was a very simple question to answer, so I answered it. Yeah. And uh, boy, that certainly uh, set off that other hiker. <laughs> it's so bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Tell us about your most memorable animal encounters on the trails. The most memorable animal encounter I've ever had has actually occurred on the Cranberry Bog Trail, which is not a very well-known trail. It connects North Pack Monadnock to the town of Peterborough. It's a trail about three miles long, and it is roughly, in, in I believe it's entirely within the city limits or town limits of Peterborough. So I had, I was walking down the trail and I could just tell by um, the, the way the treadway looked that this is a trail that does not get a lot of foot traffic. I had gone down for about a mile, had not seen or heard of another soul. I'm coming up to a corner and I hear what sounds like a small group walking towards me. And I thought, well, we're, we're blind to each other because of the way the trail angles. Yeah. And I don't want to startle anybody. So I had my trekking poles with me and so I just started clanking them around a bit. <laughs> um, I had actually started my career in radio. and my first job we had uh, a part-time DJ who was a rather large gentleman and he had mentioned that he was in the habit of clanking coffee cups and you know <laughs> making n enough noise that somebody in the studio could tell somebody was outside but not so much to be disruptive because yeah. yeah. apparently earlier he had had the experience of Somebody opening the studio door and being utterly startled by a <laughs> six foot seven inch man. <laughs> so I thought, well, that could work for the trail, right? Yeah. You know, I'll just clank my poles and, and give the oncoming party a hint that, uh, yeah, when you come around this corner, you won't be alone. So I rounded the corner and found that that was not a hiking party, mm. it was a bull moose. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> so I came eye to eye with this moose oh and goodness. I must have startled him as much as he startled me because he immediately turned around and ran towards the woods. 
<laughs> and I got over my shock enough to pull out my phone because I wanted to take a picture. But of course, by the time the shot registered, he was already oh, into yeah. the woods. So I have this beautiful photo of where a moose once was. <laughs> <laughs> he was right here. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and but he didn't charge. Oh, it it is. It, it it is. Oh, it was definitely a bull moose. He had oh. the antlers, and um, I mean, we uh, we were probably about I want to say thirty feet apart. So it's not like we were right on top of each other. But even so, you know, I was I was expecting you know, a couple or a small family, and I don't know what the moose was expecting, but uh, <laughs> clearly he wasn't expecting me. <laughs> oh, wow. So the, uh, I have had a chance to um, photograph moose near the trailhead in the fall, but uh, I have not encountered any others directly on trail. Yeah, I feel like the, mo- the moose are the most probable things that you can encounter, like big animals. Because I've seen, we saw a couple moose on the trail, but we've never seen like a bear or anything. Well, mom did actually. She, did she? Yeah, she saw. Yeah. Yeah, so she was walking alone because we were with her dad, um, with our dog. And I think she like rounded a corner or something, and then she saw this, like this bear just running away down the trail, like in the opposite direction. <laughs> right. And then so. uh, we were on the JMT, and we were like, mm. we were hanging out in some water and like kind of getting wet. You know, at the end of the day, swimming yeah. a little bit, and uh, she was, I forgot what she was. She was, like, I, at our campsite, because the J.J. Yeah. John Muir Trail, so we were, like, And then the she came across a bear, and then and then he was just kind of, like, standing there, and then he, she was, like, go away. And then, and then he, <laughs> and, like, like a big dog, she describes it as kind of, like, a big dog, because it put down its head and just, like, sadly oh, turned oh. around. Oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I was volunteering on Monadnock, I had a few people ask me if there were bears on Monadnock, and my answer had been, there are, or at least there were, because on some of the less explored trails, you can actually see marks in a tree Mm. that were caused by a bear swatting at it. It's actually very dramatic because the claws are so large and they make very deep gashes. Mm. Well, one day I came out to the mountain to do some volunteer work and I had heard that a family of bears were spotted on the White Dock Trail one of the most popular trails on the mountain. They were up above treeline. Why they were up there, I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to take in a little bit of sun. But they hung around above treeline long enough for somebody to actually get a photo of them. And then I guess uh, uh, it was a mama bear and her cubs. So fortunately, uh, they were not the bear and her cubs they weren't directly on the trail they were some number of feet off to the side but because it was above tree line the hikers had no problem seeing them yeah. the bears must have seen the hikers um, that mountain is so crowded but the they i guess felt that they were far enough away 
to where they didn't really have to be too concerned. And I guess after some time, the bear decided to retreat back that into the woods. That must have been really amazing to see. Yeah. I wish I could have seen it myself. <laughs> it, it, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be up, you know, really on any mountain, whether Monadnock or in the whites, to be above treeline, taking in the view, and then down the rocks is this family of bears. <laughs> that must have been incredible. Know, it's yeah. really lucky, though, that none of the tourists, like, disturbed them, because especially because it's a mother and her cubs. That's yeah, It is, um, and, and that protective. could have been, th- that could have gone very wrong mm. very quickly. <laughs> That's true, yeah. So um, do you prefer hiking solo or with a group of people? You ask all the tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give the a slight edge towards hiking solo. I love hiking with other people and really the experience what you get from sharing the trail with like-minded people is, is like nothing else. Um, but I've also been in situations where I feel like I'm holding the group back where I feel like I'm, I have to push myself a lot harder than I'm comfortable with to keep up with the, the other folks that are hiking with me. And it's, it's not a great feeling, you know. Sure, they say the slower hiker should set the pace. In reality, that doesn't happen. And in reality, when you're the person that everybody else has to slow down for, it's not a good feeling. Um, since I really, I've been very comfortable with the outdoors and I'm comfortable with what danger signs to look for and how to prepare, I've never been concerned about hiking solo. Um, that's not to say that I throw caution to the wind. I'm very conservative as to what choices that I make. And I have even gone as far as pulled into a trailhead and decided, you know what, this is just not the right choice today, and chosen something else. So slight edge to hiking solo because I have more options. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, I definitely like understand, you know, the um, perks to hiking solo versus in a group. There's just less pressure. There's just less less social pressures, you know, that might come up as well. That's a really good way of describing it. There's less social pressures, and the group dynamics are not always positive. Um, something that Mike Sharam has mentioned in his avalanche training courses is what if the group is about to do something very stupid? What if the right. group is about to make the wrong decision? Yeah, peer pressure can also Peer happen. pressure, yeah. you know, peer pressure can help keep you motivated. The support of other hikers can be of a huge benefit, especially if you run into a mild bit of trouble, like you run low on water. Yeah. But it can also lead to people doing things that they might not have had they been on their own or had they been in a smaller group. Yeah. So I'm not saying that one is inherently better than the others. I'm just saying that they both 
have risks and benefits. And I think hiking alone is not necessarily the demon that people make it out to be. It's not necessarily hiking alone that's the problem. It's not being prepared and not respecting Mother Nature. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. What's next? Do you have any specific hiking-related plans for the future? I would definitely like to finish my 48. Um, What happens after that? I don't know. I know a number of hikers, and including some of the good folks that you two have interviewed, they look for another list. They look towards the Adirondacks or Maine or 52 with a view. How can I say this? I think that when there is um, a need to follow another list, that need will make itself known to me. And it could be as simple as, I want to do another list. I want this to keep me motivated. I want to explore more peaks. But I think um, really what's a little more compelling for me is to explore more um, and to see um, some of the trails that I didn't hike because I was bagging a peak. I have been keeping track of my redlining tracks, so maybe the next goal for me will be redlining. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I think redlining is a good way to like get trails that not many people go on but are very beautiful. Or yeah, you don't have to worry about you know tons of people crowding the trail because yeah. a lot of people haven't heard of the trails you're going on. Yeah, <laughs> if they're in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. Yeah, mom. Mom's working on her redlining. She's yeah. nice. Substantial way through it. So it's like sixty something percent. That's fantastic. There is a site online that's called something like Thomas's Book of Lists, and a friend of mine said that there is a book of lists for every mountain in New Hampshire. Wow. And she has set a goal for herself to hike every mountain in New Hampshire. Ooh, wow. <laughs> now, I am not even <laughs> sure that these mountains all have trails, but that is... Um, Bushwhacking. The, bushwhacking, <laughs> yeah. yes. But uh, that's that I thought was a really interesting goal, and I yeah. applaud her for doing that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that'll, that'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably start with the 48 since they, I know they have good trails and then, yeah. you know, do other lists. Well, what I really like about the 48 is that it's, it's, it's not only challenging, but it really gives you an introduction to all the different types of conditions that you will find. Yeah. So no matter where your hiking journey takes you, you are you get experience um, hiking with all these different types of surprises, of challenges, of problem solving, and I just think it's, it's a really great way to build experience, to see amazing things, and, and then move on, you know, move on to wherever wherever your interests take you. Yeah. I think we're really, really lucky people to live so close to the lights. Definitely. Definitely. 
So um, now we'll ask you some questions that are unrelated to hiking. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do for a living? So I am a network engineer. Um, the company that I work for is a company that provides an emergency communications product to first responders, of police, fire, hospital, um, some private uh, organizations such as shopping malls or ball stadiums, uh, basically any place that would require a large coordinated response. Uh, I help run their network and support their project, uh, the product, and basically manage the technical operations of keeping this product and service in operation. Hmm. Wow, that's it's really interesting. Yeah. What's your favorite food? Sushi. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love Japanese food. <laughs> So when I was in college, I had the opportunity to live with a Japanese family for a year. Except I wasn't in Japan, I was in Boston. My roommate was Japanese and he had mentioned that his family was going to come here to try to start a business. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but his family was actually quite well-to-do. They were millionaires. Yeah. And so he had a lot, his, his parents had a lot of business contacts in the U.S. And his family was essentially funding my roommate's apartment. Now, I paid rent, of course. Um, they, they weren't funding me. <laughs> but um, my roommate did not have a job and I had just assumed that, you know, he had the savings or his family had the money to pay for him. That, that's not particularly unusual. Many students are, are like that. So I had, uh, I met his family, very, very fascinating people. They were in the freight forwarding uh, business and they had a very successful uh, operation based in Tokyo. Now, of course, coming here, there are the challenges of immigration and operating legally. So the family had a number of ho hoops to jump through. And in the um, two, two and a half years, um, I lived with my roommate. Um, his family was visiting for six months at a time. Six months because that was the maximum allowable stay uh, for a U.S. visa. And unfortunately, when we had parted ways and, and gone our, you know, in our own direction, uh, his family had not yet established themselves and not had a chance to set up residency. But there have been many times where I've wondered uh, what happened. The benefit to living with a Japanese family is that they teach you about all these wonderful culinary customs. So I not only got to know, got familiar with eating sushi, which was a lot less mainstream in the late 1980s than it is now, um, but I got to know other forms of, of Japanese cooking and I got somewhat good at preparing it myself. Um, it is still my favorite food 
and right. one that I will eat at any chance <laughs> I can get. <laughs> oh, great memories. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your favorite non-hiking related book? Well, there are a number of nonfiction books that I pull up on a regular basis, um, but those aren't that interesting to talk about. So I would say my favorite fiction book, hands down, is the Harry Potter series. (laughs) I have read that series so many times. And I think I have yet to find a story that has really captured my imagination. I just loved it. And I I could read that entire series um, a couple of times a year and not be bored with it. Yeah, (laughs) me too. I feel the same way. Three and a half times, I think. Wow, that's fantastic. One time I read it. read it like 14 times. One time I read it like three times, the entire series three times in a row, and then I finally started to do something else. (laughs) (laughs) You could either fly or be invisible. Which would you choose and why? Fly. Absolutely (laughs) fly. I mean, invisible, that almost had, that that almost hints at being subversive. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. want to be invisible because you want to get away with something or you want to <laughs> sneak around before behind somebody's back. But if you were, could fly, just think of all the things you could I say. Know, I know. <laughs> yeah. And I could get over my fear of heights, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, dogs or cats? Cats. Uh, I love animals. Uh, I, I like dogs. I like cats. Actually, I love dogs. I uh, cannot have a dog in the place where I live, and I actually have not lived in a place in a little while where I could have a dog. But I do have a cat. Um, I have. Uh, I just. I grew up with a cat. I love my feline companions. Yeah. Um, my kitty Franklin is starting to get a little bit older, but he's still very healthy, and um, I. I hope when the day comes that I can add another cat to my life that I can teach my cat how to hike. <laughs> yeah, good, good luck with that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We'll, I mean, we'll there see are, what the cat has to say. There are, there are some cats who hike. It's just very rare. But I think yeah. I think if you get a certain breed, uh, you know, some are easier to train. Yeah. Yeah, the cat would also have to be young. And um, yeah. all of my cats have been rescues, so... I don't think I'd like go to a breeder and get a kitten just so I could maybe train the cat to hike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, if the circumstances just happen to fall into place, I would not be against it. Yeah, that would be pretty fun. <laughs> that would be chips or popcorn. Chips, I guess. I do like popcorn, but uh, there's more variety of chips. Yeah. Yeah. Than popcorn. Cheddar or Swiss? Cheddar. <laughs> Cheddar. <laughs> um, I have uh, I have a soft spot for aged cheddar in particular. Mm. Oh, aged cheese, so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, Swiss is a thing of beauty, especially um, especially baby Swiss. But sorry, baby Swiss, I gotta give the nod to Cheddar. <laughs> and finally, if you had to pick summer or winter hiking in the whites, which would you do forever? <laughs> Forever and ever. Oh boy. Um, just summer hiking or just winter hiking? I get. I think I'd have to say just summer. I I love winter. Um, the scenery is like nothing else. Um, the snow covers the rocks. It's easier on your knees. There's no bugs. But winter also brings 
ice, uh, a higher level of danger, and cold temperatures. Um, I have been winter camping, and I'm actually, I'm not fond of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, summer, summer hiking means I'd be able to do more backpacking and explore more places. Yeah. So that would be that would be my choice if I had to choose, but I'm also very glad that I don't have to yeah. choose. <laughs> yeah, I guess them both. All right, well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank oh, you. thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming out here. Yeah. The preservation of the environment is important if we want to continue having beautiful mountains to hike. We strongly encourage you to donate to Union of Concerned Scientists, or UCS, it is an amazing organization that does important scientific research to help prevent negative effects of climate change. You can learn more about UCS and donate to their organization at ucsusa.org.